and this. This afternoon we look at Lord's Day 40 on the Sixth Commandment. Lord's Day 40. What does God require in the Sixth Commandment? I am not to dishonor, hate, injure, or kill my neighbor by thoughts, words, or gestures, and much less by deeds, whether personally or through another. Rather, I am to put away all desire of revenge. Moreover, I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself. Therefore, also, the government bears the sword to prevent murder. But does this commandment speak only of killing? By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that he regards all these as murder. Is it enough, then, that we do not kill our neighbor in any such way? No. When God condemns envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbor's neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness toward him, to protect him from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever asked that question of why did God make the world? Why did God make this creation? Was it because he was missing out on something? Well, no, he, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a world of perfect, eternal love, glorifying one another, loving one another. God does not lack anything. He did not create the world because he somehow needed a world to rule, a a creation to make him happy. Why did he create the world? Well, we know he did it for his glory. We know he did it out of his good pleasure. And when we read Genesis 1, and we read about all the beauty of his creation, of how it bursts with life. And when he speaks to Job out of the whirlwind in Job 38 to 40, and he, and he talks about what he has made. He talks about the treasury of snow and the proud waves and the ostrich and Leviathan and the horse. And he is clearly taking pleasure in everything that he has made. We can see it's true, as Jonathan Edwards once said, God created the world out of the overflow of his Trinitarian eternal love. I believe that's important to say out of all of, when we consider all of God's commands, that here's not a God who just says, I'm going to give you, I need to give a bunch of rules I, 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 we're going to have a bunch of rules here and, and I'm going to be you know, watching carefully to see that you won't break them or I will punish you as, as, as though he's worried that we might have too good of a time. But he has made this world good and beautiful that the sixth commandment is not just true, but it comes from a God. It is good and beautiful because it comes from the God of life who is himself life and has created our human life and all of creation, good and beautiful, to enjoy, to marvel at, and to to love. And as we consider the sixth commandment then, 
It's very important we start from that standpoint to say that when, when, when we believe the sixth commandment and we pray that it will be uh, carried out justly in our own society, we're doing that because it is truly good and it is for the happiness and the blessing of life in this world and for all nations. And so we consider under the theme, the Lord of life prohibits murder. Consider Lord's Day 40 in three steps. First of all, the principle of the commandment. What the, the why of it? What's the, the underneath? Uh, what lies underneath of it all? Then secondly, the heart of the commandment, the root of murder, anger, hatred, envy, and so forth, that Jesus is getting at in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, in the passage that we read. And then finally, the fulfillment of the commandment. It is not enough to say, well, I've never murdered anyone. I've never hated, really, not explicitly anyways. No, the fulfillment of the commandment is that positive uh, activity of love and promoting human life. So the Lord of life prohibits murder. First of all, we consider the principle of the commandments. As we, we confess, you know, we're not, to, um, we're not to belittle or dishonor or kill our neighbor, thoughts, words, or gestures, and much less by deeds. We, we take this for granted. We are not to actually murder someone physically, literally. And this is also assumed by Jesus' hearers. Jesus is getting to the root of the matter that the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, would like to restrict the sixth commandment to just specific kinds of very literal murder. And Jesus is saying, no, it goes, no, it goes much, much deeper than that. But when we, when we think that that's assumed, you know, murder, literal murder is, is wrong. We need to ask the why question. Why is it wrong? Why does God prohibit uh, killing or taking another human life? Well, we know on, on the one hand that not, not every instance of taking a human life is prohibited by God. We can think of national defense or even self-defense in Exodus 22 and 23, where there are situations in which we'd say for the sake of self-defense, it's, it's, it's not it's not good and beautiful to, to take a, a human life, but it is sometimes necessary and it's, it's not always prohibited. And as we mentioned explicitly in, in our catechism, that is true of capital punishment, that the government bears the sword. Why? Well, to protect human life by holding murderers accountable. But this is because in those Specific, uh, in those specific cases, God is telling us that for the protection of human life, here are those instances where it is permissible to take human life. But we may not decide ourselves when to take human life. And so all other instances is called unlawful killing or murder. And, and because the, the principle of the commandment is this, human life is made in God's image. That means he alone is the author of life, and the right to life is ultimately in his hands. Human life is sacred. We speak of the sanctity of human life, but not sacred 
in itself. It is sacred because we are made in the image of God. So human life is not divine. We don't have some divine right to human life. But it's because of our connection to God, the fact that he made us in his likeness. That he put his image upon us, all men and women. Therefore, human life is governed by his law. We are not our own. We are his creatures made in his image, receiving our life from him and upheld by him. And when, we, when he withdraws his sustaining hands, we wither and die. And so we can talk, our world can talk all day long about how it's my body to do with what I want. If I want to end my life, that's my choice. If I want to kill this preborn child within me, well, that's my right. One can talk this way, but he gives life and he takes life and no one can exercise ultimate control over himself or herself. And then we see these, uh, we see this in, in various passages. A couple that stand out would be Genesis 9-6, the institution of capital punishment. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And so capital punishment is rooted in the fact that human life is made in God's image. Or think of Proverbs 14, verse 31. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker. That is the poor man's maker. You oppress the poor, you are reproaching. You are offending and dishonoring his maker. But he who honors him has mercy on the needy. And so we, we remember man is made in God's image and therefore human life is to be respected and loved. Now, here in Canada, not only have we been murdering hundreds of thousands, millions of babies over the past few decades, but now we've extended murder to include Euthanasia, that euthanasia is now legal. In 2016, euthanasia was decriminalized. Laws were, you know, so-called made to, to, to hedge it and, and to protect it from abuses. But the fact is now we have thousands of people who have chosen to take their own lives as though they are the Lord of life. And then in 2017, or 2021, sorry, March 17, 2021, Bill C-7 was signed into law. It was given royal assent. And that extended euthanasia or assisted suicide to include the disabled. Initially, when, when the law was made, it said you had to have a you know, reasonably foreseeable death in the near future. And, and then in 2021, that was taken out. So that even the disabled, even if they have a long, happy life ahead of them, may choose to be euthanized. And we see what's happening here. When, 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 when the law was being discussed, one woman spoke up to the justice committee. Her name was Taylor. And she said effectively, you know, when I was in the hospital recently, uh, being taken care of, and, and the, the option of assisted suicide came up. And I said, I didn't want to do it. The, the nurse said, oh, are you sure? And she said, well, wh what's that all about? Well, now, now that we've extended 
the law, now we've extended the, extended the rights of assisted suicide to those who are disabled. What are we saying? She says, what we're saying is, of all the people out there, the disabled, that's, those are the kind of people that might want to take their own life, as though their life is less worth living than others. That is reprehensible, that is wicked. And that will lead to and is leading to all manner of abuses. No, we are each and every one made in the image of God. We leave our lives in his hands. Or the arguments, you know, well, that, that preborn baby is just a blob of cells, just a clump of cells. What a lie, up and down in every way, scientifically as well. Everyone knows that that embryo, the moment of conception, has all the DNA, all the information there in that embryo that will define this baby's life, this baby's personality and, and the way they look and everything. There's not a, a magical moment after that that suddenly, bloop, the, you know, the fetus becomes a baby. That's a lie, and we know it. We know that at conception, Biblically, scientifically, truly, this is a human being. Because God has created this baby. God has made this life, the miracle of life, the, this good life that he has created for his glory, the God of life. And so the value of human life is its connection to God. Now that connection was severely broken when Adam sins. The image is, is cracked, in some cases even shattered, and yet it's not altogether erased. And all still are made in the image of God. And as we'll hear later, he still loves each and every one made in his image as their creator. And so we know, but we need to be reminded of the foundation of all of this, the principle involved, so that we're not swayed by uh, these really, in the end of the day, blasphemous arguments, these outrageous and sad arguments of how, well, certain kinds of people, we can claim their lives. If we don't want that baby or this person is, is tired of living, no, we the value of human life is because we are made in the image of God and, and that's where we stand and otherwise there are, no, there are no boundaries to why we might take a human life. There's no logical place to stop then. So that, first of all, the principle of the commandment, we are made in the image of God. Life is sacred. Human life is sacred because of our relationship to him. Secondly, the heart of the commandments. That's where Jesus goes in Matthew 5, especially. That's also where, our, uh, where the Lord's Day goes. And we don't get caught up in this thought, well, I've never killed anybody, so sixth commandment, let's move on. No. No, consider the root of this. The root of it all. Not murdering in, in your heart. Does this commandment speak only of killing? No, by forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that he regards all these as murder. It's not that the desire for revenge is just as serious an offense as actual murder, but it is to say that 
they, they both make us equally and truly guilty and deserving of condemnation. And so Jesus, as he's, as he's speaking with people, Sermon on the Mount, he's the new Moses. He's not the one who has come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you have no place in the kingdom. That is to say, unless your righteousness goes more than skin deep, you have no place in the kingdom. And having said that, then he launches into the sixth commandment. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgments. What's going on here is the scribes and the Pharisees had this tendency to to reduce the commandments to to manageable ways of earning earning God's salvation, manageable righteousness, in such a way that really essentially left the heart untouched. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Remember the heart of the commandments. Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgments. Everyone who says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus' warning is exceedingly strong. And then he goes on to speak of that call to reconciliation. If we come to church, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper next week. It's a good opportunity again to ask, do I have anything against my brother or sister or do they have anything against me? Because if I go to church and yes, there's this revenge or there's this grudge, there's this resentment in my heart. Will God receive my worship? Can I sing of the gospel of reconciliation and say thank you God for your forgiveness if I'm not forgiving my brother or sister in my heart? Jesus says worshiping God is number one, but when you're there at the altar, before you bring that worship, if you know there's something between you and your brother and sister, go. He's talking about anger. He's talking about contempt. First of all, he says, Anyone who is, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgments. Anger takes on many, many different forms. It can be road rage, where we are just beside ourselves at this, well, you, you insert name, what this person just did to me. As though suddenly the whole world revolves around me and everybody ought to be serving me. And we forget that God is still the ruler and God's providence extends to all the little things and he put that driver there to test my heart, to reveal what was in me. And so now my murder has been exposed, my anger, my fly off the handle, anger and rage. Or that grudge, You do not like that person. You will not like that person. And you nurse that grudge and you don't want to let it go because it gives you a sense of superiority and power and control. What's happening again? We now, we now are the center. We are the Lord of life. We worship ourselves. Or lashing out in frustration. Have you ever had those times as a parent? When you've lashed out, 
at your kids. It's humbling. It's wicked. Discipline ought to be in love to say, my son, my daughter, you have done wrong. You know, and this punishment is because of what you have done, but I love you. But that instantaneous lashing out in frustration and anger, wicked. It's never okay. There is righteous anger, but that is controlled anger. That is anger that is concerned with the glory of God, not just you're in my way right now, and I don't like that. That's anger. Then there's contempt. Jesus says, whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, let's be clear. There are fools and there are foolish things. The the book of Proverbs talks about fools and, and calls upon us to discern folly and to discern between fools and wise. But what Jesus appears to be talking about here is that contempt. You fool. Maybe it's the contempt of a wife for her husband. In your heart, there's that resentment of you fool. You act like you love him and you serve him and you do your, you know, you are a dutiful wife, but in your heart you resent him or vice versa. He resents her. Belittling, saying things to people that identify them as worthless, as in the way, and as those who will amount to nothing. Identifying them so much with something that they've done that they can't. No, they can no longer distinguish between the fact that they are the beloved children of God who have committed a sin and offense that can be forgiven, but now they think, this, this is who I am. When we, we, we reduce people to certain sins by calling them names. How words can be used to murder, to slice people up in ribbons. It is horrible and horrifying when people have killed themselves over such things. And so Jesus is driving to the the heart of the commandment. If you hate your brother, you hate your neighbor, you do not have the love of God in your heart. That's why, as in in, um, the other Lord's Day, when we talk about forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer, we're reminded that We ought to forgive others even as God has forgiven us. If we are not forgiving, probably means we have not been forgiven. The heart of the commandment. Thirdly, and finally, the fulfillment of the commandment. So the principle is we are made in the image of God. Human life is sacred because of our connection to God, the God of life, who has made things good and beautiful. It's been wrecked by sin, but he intends to remake it all again. And he doesn't take pleasure in the death of anyone. Then we consider the heart of the commandment. That is, it's not just those physical acts of murder, but our hearts, vengeance, and so forth. Thirdly, there's the fulfillment of the commandments, and that is the breadth of it. Not just the negative, not just the prohibition, but also the positive. And that, for that, we turn to Matthew 5, verses 30, 43 to 48. And this is the most telling. This is the most humbling. 
Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. On Lord's Day 40, question and answer 107. We say when God condemns envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness toward him, to protect him from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. And so the commandments is wide, it it has great breadth, it's positive, it is active. Love your neighbor by promoting and protecting his life. Love is the fulfillment of the law of all of God's commands, including the Sixth Commandment. So the question is, will we love and promote the life of our neighbors who are made in God's image and and love them on that basis? If we're ever asked, well, do we need to love the world? Do we need to love unbelievers? Absolutely we do. Well, why? Well, at the very least, because they are made in the image of God. As as someone from Union Gospel Mission once, once told me when was talking about how to, how to interact with the homeless, especially those who are begging. You know, and it was such a helpful statement. Oh, she said, don't give them money. Look them in the eye and give them the time of day. Give them the respect that they, they deserve just as, as much as you do for being made in the image of God. Love them the way God loves them, we might say. That, after all, is the measuring stick that Jesus uses. Verse 45, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That doesn't mean sinless. That means mature and truly following him and truly reflecting him. And, and, and that's why when Jesus is talking about reconciliation, He's he's speaking positively now. If you know you have something against your brother, look, you promote your brother's life and your own. You promote life. When When you take the initiative, rather than saying, well, he can come here and get on his knees and and, and tell me he's sorry. No, we go, we we don't want this. The, the, The necessity, that's Jesus' point, the necessity of of being reconciled with our brother or sister. And then he says, and and when, when you're on your way to the courthouse and you have something with your brother or your neighbor, take care of it now. Do it quickly. Or guess what's going to happen? It will become a prison to you. It will drag on and on and on and on and it will be a kind of hell. If we expect justice to be done to the fullest extent in this life, always, then we become little gods who are seeking vengeance all the time, and it becomes a prison to us. Well, think of the disposition of the heart of God. You know, we can't always be reconciled with our brothers or sisters. Sometimes we might go to them and they're not willing. Well, we can't change that. But we must always have a heart that is ready to forgive. 
where that offer is there. And in this way, we are sons of the Father who think of the disposition, think of, think of his heart. No, he doesn't forgive everyone. He forgives only those whom he has chosen, only, only those who repent and believe. And yet, his disposition is that he delights to show mercy, says Micah chapter 9. He so loved the world that is this stinking, this God-hating, reprehensibly wicked world. He loved that world in such a way that he gave his only begotten son. And I love the, the canons of Dort's, the way they begin. We maybe sometimes think of the canons of Dort as this sort of stodgy, you know, sovereignty of God, but we don't think much of his love and his mercy. But notice how it begins. The first article of the canons of Dort says, God would have been just and right to throw us all in hell. And he would have been perfectly right to do so. And then the second one says, but this is how God showed his love. He sent his only begotten son into the world so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's a missionary document. Speaking of the disposition of God's heart for sinners, you and me and everyone else. And think of how often God is accused of being an unloving tyrant. You know, how could God allow these evil things to happen? How could a loving God send people to hell? But what of the daily gifts he showers on the wicked, the very people who defy him and hate him? That's what Jesus points out. He says, God's, God makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Consider the patience of God, says the Apostle Peter. In 2 Peter 3, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Or remember Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. It says when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. And the question is, well, have, have you wept for your enemies like that? Those tears that Jesus are weeping, those are tears that take him to the cross for sinners. And if we're ever tempted to think, ah, well, that's, that's Jesus' love for, for his chosen ones only. That's, that's, we can't speak of Jesus loving his, his enemies. Well, here he says, God the Father loves his enemies. And you know what really drives home the point? Is that if, if we think for some reason God loves us because of something that we are, that we're somehow distinct from the wicked in ourselves. Well, we come to Romans 5. In Romans 5, we read that God demonstrated his love in this way. That while we were still enemies and ungodly sinners, that is, that's right, we were enemies, we were ungodly sinners, he sent his son. I was his enemy, and he loved me, and he loved you. And what a way then to, to, to wrap up the sixth commandment. 
Because when we think none of us are exempt from the the reach of the sixth commandment, I have hated, I have been unrighteously, sinfully angry. And we shouldn't assume that our congregation here is untouched by abortion. We shouldn't assume that the people that we interact with daily don't have this grief and this guilt of of some kind of actual physical murder that they've committed or maybe thinking of committing. And so what a way to wrap up the sixth commandment then and to be able to say, as we think of God's love for his enemies, that also means so much hope for sinners. Sinners who have the guilt of an abortion. Sinners who have the guilt of anger and a grudge. Now we can say, come to the Savior. He who loves his enemies. Who gave his own life to forgive us for all of our sins. He laid down his life to forgive his enemies. To save those who hated him. To save sinners like you and I. Here is the God of life. And as we consider the sixth commandment, that we need to offer this, to hold this out to a world who, that has so, so disparaged human life, so disparaged the God who has made them. And we can say, here is your hope. Here is your help. Here is your salvation. Here is the happiness of knowing the one true God and seeing his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen.